This morning, it's my pleasure to take a moment and introduce the Petites. And uh, I'm going to do this right now. Tim, right beside you is a welcome basket. And I'd like you to take that down to Marissa. It's really for her, not Jory. And uh, <clears throat> now we want to be a blessing to them. I want to introduce their family. It's Jory, Marissa, 15-month-old, is it 15-month-old? Yeah. Brooke. I always say Brooke with an E, uh, but we got to meet her. Uh, the world is not stable for her. She's just learning to walk. So she's got that drunken sailor thing going on. Um, but uh, we're glad to get to have them at our house uh, last night. Uh, I met uh, the Petites through one of our other missionaries, Bruce McAllister. And uh, Bruce has um, gotten to know this family well and uh, try to explore what they're doing in ministry. And when he made me aware of church planters that are going uh, out to the uh, northwest area, uh, our hearts are involved with that as a church family and concerned about what God's doing in here, out here. Uh, and as far as context goes, uh, they are looking at starting a church in Springville, Utah, and that is five and a half hours, well, five hours and 29 minutes uh, uh, away from us. They are just south, barely east of Salt Lake City, right outside of Provo, and uh, as far as context goes, what that means is in the West, they're right next door. Back East, they would be neighbors, right? So, but they're our neighbors and fellow church planters, and we're interested in what God's doing in their lives. I want to ask Jory to come up and tell you a little bit uh, about their ministry. He does have a video to share, but glad to have Jory with us. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. It's uh, really, we're really uh, glad to be here today. It really is an honor. Um, First of all, I just want to say thank you. Uh, months ago, I, I can't tell you how many months, but months ago I received a, a love offering from this church, a penny offering, I guess is what it was called. I'd never heard of that before, but uh, it was very generous. Uh, it was very um, it, much a blessing to us. And so I just want to say thank you all for that. That was a huge uh, help and blessing. And, and we've already been able to uh, use some of that money. We, we recently just moved to Springville. So we're really not on deputation right now. Uh, we kind of finished deputation, but um, as I got to know your pastor, uh, and um, because he's been such a blessing to us already, I really did want to come and, and um, meet everyone here, see his church, and present. And so uh, this is probably our last uh, deputation stop, I guess you could say. But a month ago, we moved to Springville, and we have, we have started um, getting plugged in there. Uh, really, we've, we've been able to... Um, we, we found an apartment and we started moving into it, and um, we were in a camper before that. That's what we were traveling in, and so we didn't have furniture or anything like that, so uh, we've been trying to get the place furnished, and it's pretty much done, and so basically what I've been doing is just going door to door and try, trying to get out there in the community and, and outreach to people, and it's already just been a huge uh, blessing. Uh, we've seen uh, the Lord answering prayers already, and so... Um, uh, if you come back tonight, uh, make sure you come with some questions because there will be some uh, question and answer time. Uh, but I would encourage you to come back tonight. But here's a little video uh, that we're going to play, and it'll kind of get a, a general idea uh, of, of our ministry. And then tonight I will present uh, more fully. So thank you. Petiti. 
I was born and raised in San Diego, California. I grew up in a Catholic home, and I never knew much about the true God or about the true way of salvation, and therefore always believed I must be a good person for God to save me. One day, I was going to college at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and a classmate invited me to church. Shortly after that, I trusted Christ as my personal savior. Since then, I finished college with a bachelor degree in music with a concentration in viola performance. From the time I got saved, the Lord has given me a tremendous burden for the lost, and today I have a desire to serve him for the rest of my life. A few years later, Jory and I met, and we got married on February 8, 2020. Since then, I've been faithfully serving alongside him in areas such as discipleship, teaching children for Sunday school and children's church, driving the church van, singing for offertory, and playing the viola in church. We've been praying continuously for the Lord to send us and use us to spread the gospel, and it is now our desire to plant a church in Springville, Utah. Springville is located near the center of Utah, just an hour south of Salt Lake City. Springville is also located just five minutes south of the college BYU in Provo, Utah. When you look at the religious demographics of Utah, it can be disheartening. Utah is the least evangelized state in the country. Only 0.6% of Utah considers themselves Baptist, and only 0.9% consider themselves another type of non-denominational Christian. But what's worse is Springville's religious demographics. In Springville, only 0.12% consider themselves Baptist, which is about one-fifth of what Utah's is. In Springville, only 0.22% claim to be non-denominational Christian, which is one-fourth of what Utah is. These percentages are what one would expect in a third-world country, or even in the Middle East. But sadly, it is right here in our own country. In the New Testament, Christians were to take the gospel first to those in their own town, then move out to the rest of their state, then their country, and then the rest of the world. Praise the Lord for the zealous efforts going on around the world for Christ. But I think we've forgotten a people group in our own country. Would you please consider joining us in the evangelization and discipleship of the people in Utah and Springfield? All right, wonderful music. Um, as, as we said, uh, my wife and I were going to Utah to plant a church, and a lot of people have told us um, that's going to be a difficult um, work that you're going to be doing, and that's true. It's going to be difficult, but it's relieving to know that God has only called us to be faithful. He has not called us necessarily to produce the fruit. Obviously, I'm going to you know, do all I can to see people get saved and see people get discipled, uh, but really, that's not up to me. I can't control uh, what another person does. Uh, God has called me to be faithful. And I, we're gonna, I'm going to sing the song, May the Lord Find Us Faithful. God has not given us the spirit of fear but has given us the strength to obey. With power and sound mind, with love the unfailing kind, oh, be not ashamed of his way. May the Lord find us faithful. May his word be our banner held high. May the Lord find us faithful every day, though we live, though we die. No man that seeketh after things of this life is a soldier who passes the test. 
faithful, be working, be running, be serving, be searching His Word for His best. May the Lord find us faithful. May His Word be our banner held high. May the Lord find us faithful every day though we live, though we die. Living or dying, may honor be thine. From this wretched life you loved and forgave. A life that's on fire, be only our heart's desire. Be faithful from now to the grave. May the Lord find us faithful. May His Word be our banner held high. May the Lord find us faithful every day, though we live, though we die. May the Lord find us faithful. May His Word be our banner held high. May the Lord find us faithful every day, though we live, though we die. Sweetie, so much for playing that for me. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and uh, go to the book of 1 Corinthians. Book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 8 to start off. Um, but we're going to be mainly in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to start off in verse 8. And, um, and before we start reading this, I want to give you just a little bit of context of, of what's going on uh, really in this book. Um, and then transition to what's going on in, in, this, in this passage here. So, Paul the Apostle... <clears throat> Uh, wrote the book of, of 1 Corinthians, uh, and he, he, he wrote it uh, to this church in Corinth for a, a few reasons. Uh, one, he had heard, uh, some people had reported to him some things that were going on in this church. Um, there, there was um, a lot of div division that was going on. These people saying, I was baptized by these people, and I was baptized by this person. And so there was division going on, there was immorality going on. And so someone had uh, talked to Paul and told him about these things that the Corinthians were doing. And so that was one reason that Paul had, had wrote this book. But another reason was because the Corinthians had questions, and they had sent these questions to Paul. And uh, when you get to chapter 7, uh, Paul says in verse 1, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. So prior to chapter 7... Uh, he wasn't talking about things that they had written unto him. He was talking about things that others had written to him about them. But now he's talking to them about things that they have now written unto him. And in chapter 7, you know, he, he deals with um, uh, people who are single and, and marriage and all of that. But when we get to chapter 8, um, here's how it starts in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. The beginning says, Now touching things... Offered unto idols, we, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 8, 1 again. It says, Now touching the things where, uh, touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity 
edifieth. I want you to remember that point right there, that the last portion of that verse where Paul says knowledge puffs a person up, but charity edifies. And as we um, go into chapter 9, and, and, and like I said, I think uh, this whole passage is chapter 8, 9, and 10, uh, you see this theme that Paul is trying to get at or help the Corinthians understand that yes, um, you have the knowledge that you can go and eat this meat, and that's what he starts talking about in chapter 8. Uh, yes, you can eat this meat. Uh, verse 4 says, As concerning things, or concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice and idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. Uh, yes, you can eat this meat, but he's trying to show them something more important than this knowledge that they have, this knowledge of of the fact that, yes, they can eat it. He's trying to show them something more important, and that is, but that doesn't mean that you should. You should think about other people. What, what could it do to another person? And here's what Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 8. He says, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. You hear that? Though Paul could eat this meat, though he could partake, he says, you know what? I'm not going to eat it if it's going to cause my brother to offend, to be offended. Years ago when um, I was in Bible college, um, I was sitting in personal evangelism class, and um, the Lord was really starting to break my heart for the loss. He had actually already been doing that. And I'll share more of my testimony tonight, but um, I went to college for a year in Utah, and while I was there, the Lord began breaking my heart to share the gospel with my roommates and the people I knew. And through that, he, he changed my heart. I no longer wanted to go to college for what I was going to college for there in Utah, and I wanted to go to Bible college. So anyways, when I got to Bible college, and I'm sitting in personal evangelism class, they're teaching you about the gospel, they're teaching about religions, they're te te teaching about, you know, verses that you could use here and there, and... Man, I was getting excited. I wanted to share those things. I wanted to put those things in the practice. I wanted to go out and start sharing the gospel with some people. Uh, but if anyone knows, and I met a lady here that said she went to Frontier School of the Bible where I was at, or she used to live in that town. It's a small town. There's about 200 people in that town. So it's in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. And uh, they put that college there uh, basically to keep kids out of trouble is what, what they said. Um, it doesn't work. College students are clever. They're going to find a way to get into trouble. But anyways, it was in the middle of nowhere. And almost everyone in that small town was associated with that college or the church that it was connected with. And I just didn't know who to share the gospel with. I wanted to go and share the gospel with somebody. I didn't know who. So I just started going door to door in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. It was about 45 minutes away. It was the next closest big town. And I just went and I just started going door to door. No one had ever showed me how to go door to door. No one had ever showed me on a personal level how to share the gospel with someone. Um, but all I knew is I, I, I needed to go share the gospel. And so I just started going door to door. And um, I can tell you, I made a lot of mistakes doing that. Um, never learning from another person how to do stuff. I remember going to houses and I'd see a Jehovah's Witness track or a LDS track uh, sticking out of someone's mailbox or something. I would take that and I'd throw that away. That's actually illegal. You, you can't do that. I didn't know that. Uh, and in return, I'd put my track in there. That's also illegal. You can't put stuff in other people's mailboxes. Anyways, there, there was a lot that I learned. There was a lot of mistakes that I made. Uh, but one thing I, I remember learning, and, there, and again, I, there's lots of things, but one thing in particular was showing these people that I loved them did more for them than showing them, how, showing them how much I knew. And oftentimes when you go and you're trying to share the gospel with someone, uh, sometimes there's that temptation for a debate to start to come along, you know. Uh, they, they believe this religion's right, and I'm saying, no, this is the truth. And, and you kind of start getting into, into a debate. And, you know, there is a place for, for reason in, in all of that. But the times when I was able to show those people, look, I just care for you. I just want to make sure that you're on your way to heaven. I don't care, you know, necessarily what religion you're in or, or anything like that. I don't care about necessarily this, 
doctrine over here. Right now, I want, I just, I want to show you how you can know for sure how to get to heaven. And um, I learned that love was the most common driving force for leading someone to the Lord. Not knowledge, not winning a debate, not showing them how much I knew. It was love. Someone once said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's true. You've got to show them that you care for them. Today I want to preach about how that love brings more people to Christ than knowledge. Love brings people, uh, brings more people to Christ than knowledge. In this context, again, we find, um, you know, these Corinthians want, eating this meat, asking if it's okay to eat this meat, and really there's multiple answers that he's given. Yes, you can eat this meat, but what about this person over here? What about this brother in Christ? Uh, what about this unbeliever? Yes, you can do this, and as we go into more in the context, yes, you can do this, this, and this, but does it give glory to God? Is this going to help bring someone closer to Christ, or could this potentially move someone further away? And really the decision that, that they're going to have to make, they were going to have to make was a decision to love people, to sacrifice what they could do in Christ, what they had liberty in a sense to do in Christ, sacrifice that and choose to love people instead. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to see a couple things in this passage. One, uh, we're going to find out that Paul did whatever possible to lead others to Christ. Uh, but we're going to also see that um, we're going to find that Paul gave up his freedom in Christ for the sake of others. Uh, but really we're going to find that because Paul had a heart for others, because he loved them, uh, that he was able to lead many to Christ. And so let's go ahead and start in chapter 9, and uh, let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 15 as we see Paul's surrender. Paul's surrender in verses 1 through 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Word of God says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? And by the way, Paul's saying these things because there's some people that come into the Corinthian church and they were questioning whether he was an apostle. They're saying, Look, he doesn't even do this. He, he doesn't even do this over here. He doesn't eat this meat. Uh, he's not doing what all the other apostles do. He must not be an apostle. And so there's some people examining him. But am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? Paul had started this church. Verse 2. If I be not an apostle unto others... Yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? Verse 7, who goeth to a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Who, or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or say if not the law the same also? Verse 9, for it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth should, in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partaker of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Did you hear that? Lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse 13. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so the Lord hath ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things. Neither have I written these things that it may, should be done so unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. 
In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, I want to remind you that he said, knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. These Corinthians had knowledge, okay? They knew, hey, I'm saved. We're not under the old covenant, uh, this and that. That means technically I can do this. That means technically I can do this. And so Paul begins to show them how much knowledge he has. They're examining him. They're questioning um, if he's really an apostle. He's going to show them, look, I am definitely an apostle. And one way he shows them is through all the knowledge that he has um, concerning working. He talked about how he didn't have to work. Or, sorry, how that he chose not to work, him and Barnabas. Um, and then he gives all the reasons when, how he knows he could forbear working. Uh, look with me at verse 7. He says, who goes a war for, at any time with, at his own charges? Right? Yeah, at his own charges. So someone who goes into a war, they're not paying for their own way to go into that war. They're, they're, you know, they're going to get taken care of for doing that. So there's one example. He says again in verse 7, who planted the vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? There's another example. Of how, hey, look, I'm doing this work. I'm teaching you guys. I'm leading these people to the Lord. I deserve to be paid. Um, Or who feeds a flock and eats not the milk of the flock? Then verse 8. Say I these things as a man or saith the law also. So those were some manly answers, I guess you could say. Now he's going to give some answers out of the law. He talks about don't muzzle the mouth of an ox as it treads out the corn. Um, And and, in verse 10 he says, is that written so that the ox can eat? No, God's right in that so, so that we can be taken care of. Um, and then in verse 11, if we sow unto you spiritual things, shouldn't we reap carnal things? And, and verse 12, um, or sorry, in verse 13, he talks about those of the temple and how they lived of those sacrifices. Uh, when people went to the temple, or these priests went and sacrificed uh, these sacrifices, uh, they would be a partaker of those sacrifices. They would get some of that meat and they would be able to eat it. Um, and then he ends with this. In verse 14, he gives the ultimate example, in a sense, because it's Christ. And, you know, these guys are talking about, basically, they're not under the old covenant. Verse 14, even so as the Lord ordained that they which preach of the gospel should live of the gospel. If someone's going to go out and preach the gospel, they should live of it. And so I show all that to share all that with you to show you that Paul knew better than anyone that he could forbear working. There's no one seemingly that knew that as well as Paul. But yet he chose not to. Because, verse, the end of verse 12, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul gave up his freedom, his liberty, for the sake of, of others. And he didn't just for, uh, give up that, the, the, the ability to receive wages. He gave up certain, eat, certain foods and drinks, According to verse 4, he, him and Barnabas chose not to, to go and get married, is what he says. He says, have we not, the, uh, not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as all the other apostles? They're all married. But he's choosing to sacrifice his wants, his desires, his freedom for the sake of others. You know, when I first um, got saved, um, I was involved in a lot of, I guess, bad stuff, you could say, before I got saved. And so when I got saved, you know, there was a lot of work that I had to do, in a sense, to get rid of all these things. For me, it wasn't just a night and day difference. Um, I didn't get saved, and then everything was gone. I got saved, and progressively, I, I began to change my life for Christ. You know, I, I began to get rid of the, the, the drinking and, and the drugs and the partying, and I started to get rid of all of those things after I got saved. And eventually there came a, a point in time where, you know, I really wasn't struggling with a lot of those things anymore. Uh, you know, the language that I was using before, the, uh, you know, the, the drinking and all that. I really wasn't struggling with those things um, all that much. I wasn't doing them at least. But there were some other things in my life that I had not given up that were making it harder to really be done with those things. Such as hanging out with the friends that I was with. You know, nowhere does it say necessarily that I, I can't be around those people. Um, but I had to make a decision. Either I stick around these people and I'm continually tempted to do what they're doing. Or I 
I get rid of them. I stop hanging out with them. And praise the Lord, I actually didn't have to make that decision because when I stopped doing those things, they stopped hanging out with me. They didn't want to hang out with me anymore. And so it kind of made the decision a little bit easier for me. Uh, But there came a point in my life where, you know, not only do I need to get rid of this sin that's in my life, but I need to get rid of other things that are causing me to, or that are tempting me to do that sin. Do you see what I'm saying? In, um, in the book of Proverbs, um, the book of Proverbs, is, it's filled with so much wisdom. It really is. And Solomon talks about this one instance where, and he actually mentions it twice, where there's an adulterous woman on a corner. And he says, don't go near that house. Don't go on that corner. Now, anyone could go on that corner and, and not you know, go hang out with the adulterous woman. But his point was, go, f- go around that. Don't even go near it. Because by going near it, you're going to, be, going to be tempted to do it. And so his wise advice was just completely go around that. And likewise, I had to make some decision, decisions in my life. I need to get rid of some things that, sure, sure this is not sin. Uh, this is not sin for anyone. But it's tempting me. Or it's causing my testimony for Christ to look better. It's hindering the gospel here. And so little by little, I had to, get, I had to start uh, removing things out of my life that um, I would label weren't uh, the best. And so the question is, are there things in our life where what we're doing isn't necessarily wrong? What we're doing isn't sin, but it isn't best. Uh, what we're doing isn't commanded against in the Bible, However, it's tempting others uh, and tempting ourselves to possibly sin, or it's causing our testimony for Christ to not look as good. Because if, if we really want to love people and bring people to Christ, and I believe we're going to have to have this mindset that Paul has here, this mindset of, you know what? I don't have to get rid of this. I don't have to get rid of this. I have the knowledge. I can keep doing this. But you know what? I'm going to do it anyways. Because I think it could help further the gospel of Christ. Now, this, whole, um, this is a whole other level of, of surrender, really. And that's what we're talking about is, is Paul's surrender here. Paul was completely surrendered. He had not only surrendered, uh, you know, those specific commands in the Bible, don't do this and do this, but he had sur- surrendered everything to Christ. He wanted to do everything possible to bring glory to God and to lead others to the Lord. And I believe that we must have this type of surrender in our life as well. There are people dying and going to hell, and we have the truth. We have the gospel. But oftentimes the way we're living isn't helping further that. And so we need to have a completely surrendered life to him. But notice with me, secondly, Paul's heart. Let's go ahead and read verses 15 through 19. Um, Paul says, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be done so unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, That when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge. That I abuse not my power in the gospel. And then verse 19, super important verse. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Talk about an attitude. Talk about a heart for the lost. Though I be free from all men. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this over here. I'm free from these men. But even though that is the case, yet I have chosen to make myself a servant unto all. And why? What is the reason? That I might gain the more. So that I might gain the more. Do we have a heart for the lost like this? Do we have a heart for the unsaved? A heart that's willing to say, you know, I'm going to make myself a servant unto that person. I'm going to give up my wants and my desires, and I'm going to make myself a servant unto this unsafe person over here because I want to see them get saved. I want, someday when, when I die and I, and I go to heaven, I want to see them 
in heaven. You know, if you have a, a heart, a passion for, let's say, a professional football team, I don't know what people in Idaho, what NFL team, is it Broncos? NFL. It's Boise State still. Okay, what about NFL? Is it Broncos, Seahawks? I'm going to start a fight. Okay. Let's say someone's passionate about a certain sports team. They're going to sacrifice certain things in order to make sure they watch that game, right? They're going to, they're going to make certain sacrifices. They're going to go out and buy, you know, clothing and apparel and stuff like that, even though they don't need to. But, man, they love that. And they're going to go out and sacrifice. They're going to sacrifice their money. They're going to sacrifice their time. They're going to sacrifice energy for that team, getting all excited when they win, getting all upset when they lose. If we have a heart, if we have a passion for something, we're going to go out of our way to sacrifice certain things uh, in order for it. And likewise, if we have a heart for the lost, it's going to come natural. It's going to come easy. Paul says this. He says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, is what woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. It's almost second nature to him. He doesn't have to be told uh, to go out and do this. He just cannot not do it. He has such a heart for these people that, you know what? I've just got to do it. I want to do it. It's kind of like what Jeremiah said. He had this fire. Do we have that fire? If we, if we don't have that fire, we need to have that fire. Listen to the words that Paul says concerning his Jewish brethren. He says, I wish I were accursed and cut off from Christ for their sake. Isn't that amazing? Paul's saved. He's going to heaven. He knows what heaven's going to be like. He says, I, wished, I, I wish I was accursed. That I was cut off for my brethren's sake. That's how much of a heart he had. He wanted to die. He wanted them to go to heaven. He wanted them to be saved. And so if we don't have a heart for the, for the lost, can I just give you a couple encouragements? One, pray to the Lord. Lord, would you break my heart for the lost? You know, God promises, uh, you know, if, if we lack wisdom, ask him for wisdom, and he's going to give us wisdom, right? There's a couple things we find in the Bible where if we lack this, if we pray for it, God's going to give it to us. How much more is God going to give us a heart for the lost if we ask him? Lord, I, I know I should, my heart should break when, when I think of people dying and going to hell, but really my heart doesn't break that much for them. But I want it to. Lord, would you break my heart for the lost? It's important that we pray that. But secondly, we also must go out and start sharing the gospel with people. I'm telling you, that is the best way uh, to break your heart for the gospel, is going out and trying to share it with people. And um, I, I know from, from personal experience, um, when I was at Frontier doing all that evangelism, I actually started up an evangelism team, in a sense, where we'd go out door to door, we'd go to colleges and, and share the gospel in many different ways at colleges. We'd go to certain events like the Parade of Lights in Denver. And so I had this group of people that would come, and, and oftentimes people were very hesitant to come at first, right? They'd never done it before. They'd kind of seem apathetic, in a sense, towards it. But once they came that first time, and they started sharing the gospel with these people, it was so much easier for them to come the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time. They now wanted to come. Before, some friend was encouraging them to come, hey, you should, you should come. But now they wanted to come, because now they've experienced it. If you don't have a heart for the lost, pray the Lord, Lord, give me a heart, but also get out, get busy, and, and trying to share the gospel, however, uh, you know, you can. And I'm telling you, the Lord will break your heart for the lost. And so, we saw Paul's heart there, and what is that? For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. His heart is simply, he just wants to gain the more. He wants to do whatever possible to lead people to the Lord. But notice with me, thirdly, Paul's resolve. Verses 19 through 23. Um, I'll read verse 19 again just because it's, it's such a great verse. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I become as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, 
being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak become I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And verse 23, and this do I for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Paul's resolve was this, that he was going to, he was going to become all things to all people that he might by all means save some. He was going to do whatever possible to lead people to the Lord. He was serious about this. Um, you know, it can be hard to, you know, get rid of things that we want to do. Things that um, uh, we love. Things that we deserve. I deserve this. Uh, I earned this. It can be really hard to get rid of those things, especially when we're not necessarily ever commanded specifically to get rid of this or get rid of that or sacrifice this or sacrifice this. But that's what Paul did. When he went somewhere, when he went to the Jews, he became a Jew. When he went to the Gentiles, he, went, he became a Gentile. He became all things and all people that he might by all means save some. He went above and beyond. You could say he went the extra mile. Um, I'm sure you know, but um, at this time, uh, or before when, when Christ was on earth, uh, he, talks, he, told, he told people to, to go the, an extra, the extra mile. Someone comes and tells you to carry their coat, and it was a Roman soldier. The law was you had to take, uh, carry this stuff for a Roman soldier for a mile. That's what you are commanded to do. But Christ was, said, take it two miles. Go that extra mile. And that's what Paul here is doing. Yeah, you're commanded to do this. You're not commanded to do this, but go the extra mile. A few months ago, um, my wife and I, we flew out to North Carolina. Um, we, we had never really been east of Colorado before. I'd never been out that way. And so it was all new. But I had met this pastor um, in Utah. I was at this conference, and this pastor was, was, was there. And he really wanted us to go out to North Carolina and present our ministry at his church. And he said, I'm going to pay for your flight. I'm going to... Um, uh, schedule all these meetings for you, because you don't know anyone out here. I will schedule all these meetings for you. I'll get this, this stuff lined out. And, and sure enough, he did all that. You know, we, we mainly rose support out west, and it was kind of hard to um, get services or um, meetings Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's what I thought when I started deputation, that I'd have like three meetings a week, because that's kind of what my home church did. We would, we'd have missionaries on a Sunday night or Wednesday or Sunday morning, uh, but as I started going door to, or, um, uh, as I started going on deputation out west, we really could only find Wednesday or Sunday mornings. We'd call, hey, we need, really need a Wednesday morning. Can we come? Or a Wednesday evening? Can we come on Wednesday? No, we want you on a Sunday morning. We want you on a Sunday morning, time and time and time again. So it was really hard to fill up our schedule out out west. But when we went out there to North Carolina, I mean, we would have like four or five churches that we were presenting at in just one week. We'd go Sunday morning to church, another one Sunday night. We'd have this conference on Monday, and then another one on Tuesday, and then another church on Wednesday. And this, this pastor, he had just gone the extra mile for us. He just met us. He didn't know us all that well, but he knew what, he, what we wanted to do, and he wanted to help us. And certainly he could have been, you know, like everyone else, but he went more than the extra mile to help us raise support, to be a blessing to us. Uh, in much of the same way, um, uh, your pastor has been like that. Um, Bruce McAllister has, has been like that. People that have gone the extra mile. And when we look at the life of Paul, that's what he was all about. Not just doing what you're told, not just doing what is commanded, but going that extra mile. Why? For the sake of the gospel. So that I might by all means save some. And so... Uh, Paul's resolve was, was simply that. Uh, he was going to do whatever possible in order to see people get saved. And then notice with me lastly, we're almost done here. Notice with me lastly, uh, Paul's sacrifice, verses 23 through 27. It says this, And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. This is a very important verse. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? 
but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul had kind of connected his life to a race. And in verse 24, it starts off there. Those who run in a race, they all, they, uh, they all run, but they run to receive the pride. They don't, they're not running so that they can come in last. I'm sure there's some people in our day and age that, you know, they're all fine. You know, I'll just come in last. Yeah, I'm going to train so I can be last. But no, most people train so they can be first. And when you think of an athlete, <coughs> they sacrifice a lot to get uh, where they want to go. You think of someone who's going to be the best in a sport, the best basketball player. They can't just live their life like everyone else. They can't just not put thought into what they eat, into what they drink, how much they sleep, what they do with the time that they have during the day. Everything that an athlete that's trying to be the best, everything that they do revolves around that sport. Everything. And they have to sacrifice a lot. You know, they have to sacrifice friendships. They have to sacrifice oftentimes family. They have to sacrifice a lot in order to do that. And here's the thing, you ready? They do that for a corruptible crown. They do that for a temporal crown, for a reward that it's here and gone. A reward that they're not going to be, be able to take with them into eternity. And so why can't us, as believers, give that same, sacrifice that same amount? Give our all like they give their all for that. Give our all for Christ. Give our, our all for the gospel. Not for a temporal crown, though, but for an eternal crown. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory is what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talks about. And not only do we get that crown, but we get to bless another person. We could possibly lead another person to the Lord as we do it. The, 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 the reward, the benefit of giving our all to Christ is so much more than, than what an athlete gets in return for them giving their entire life to that sport. So why can't we do the same thing? Why can't we sacrifice like they sacrifice? You know, as Christians in today's day and age, I feel as if oftentimes we get so focused on the fact that, yes, we are saved by faith. Yes, we are saved by grace. It's, it's not of works. And so we kind of minimize the whole works thing. Serving God. Being faithful to Him. Praise the Lord. Salvation's by faith through grace. I'm, I praise the Lord because I wouldn't be able to make it. No one would be able to. But because God has made salvation by grace through faith, that ought to make me want to serve him more, not less. That ought to want me to give him my all, not just give him a little bit. I don't want to have the mindset of the, 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 the Romans had in Romans 6.1 where uh, Paul says, Wherefore shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Yes, they could continue in sin and grace was going to abound, but that doesn't mean they should. And it's an important principle for us to remember. Uh, just because we can doesn't mean it's best. Just because we don't have to sacrifice doesn't mean we shouldn't. And when we look at the life of Paul, Paul is such an example of someone who sacrificed so much for others to get saved. As we come close to the, uh, to the end this morning, uh, let me tell you about um, a man named Dean Dalton. Dean Dalton, he's the youth leader at Moab Baptist Church. And um, <clears throat> when I first got invited to church, this man, I'm telling you, he just, he went out of his way to sacrifice for me. He, he saw this atheist kid that was just causing trouble, and his heart broke for that kid, for me. And so what he began to do is, Every time I came to church, man, he would just like, he'd be such a good friend to me. 
hey, how's it going? Talk to me nonstop, being super happy, asking me about my life all the time. Um, he would call me, hey, you going to come to church Sunday? And man, I didn't want to disappoint him. So, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll come to church. And he'd start picking me up for church. Sometimes he'd pick up a couple teens for church in his own car and get up extra early to pick me up. Sometimes he'd come to my house, and I was asleep. And he'd come in my room and, okay, Jory, get up. We're going to go to church. And um, this man uh, sacrificed a lot just to see one soul get saved. Just to see one soul get saved. I think Dean Dalton has a heart similar uh, to that of the Apostle Paul. You know, I'm going to sacrifice my wants, my freedom. I don't have to do this. My church doesn't tell me I have to go pick up teenagers. But man, I want to see this guy get saved. You know, I'm just going to go do this anyway. You know, I want to see this person get saved. I'm just going to go out of my way and be a blessing to this person so that I can see them get saved. It really all comes down to sacrifice. Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to give up our wants, our desires, our freedom for others? In um, chapter 10, as I mentioned, these three chapters are basically one long passage. And he continues his thought basically uh, concerning um, meats offered unto idols and answering this question into chapter 10. Here's what he says in verses 23 through 24. He says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Isn't he really bringing that beginning thought um, all, all, all the way around, like he said in, in, in chapter 1 of, of, of 8? Knowledge puffs up, but charity, love, edifies. Don't seek your own, seek another man's wealth. And then look with me at verse, uh, verses 31 through 33. He says, Where, uh, Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many. Here we go. That they may be saved. My wife and I were going to Springville to plant a church, and we must have the same surrender that Paul had, and the same heart, the same resolve, the same willingness to be able to sacrifice we're going to see people get saved there. I'm sure many of us have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things concerning, you know, Christianity and the Bible. I'm sure we have a lot of knowledge. But here's the real question. But do we have a heart? We may have the knowledge of what we, we can and can't do. But do we have a heart of what we should and shouldn't do? Do we have a heart for, well, what's best for this person, for that person? Paul concludes all of this, beginning with, you know, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, concludes it by saying that they may be saved. He, he's not seeking to his own profit, but others, so that they may be saved. And so what is Paul's answer to their question in, eight, in chapter 8? The question of, now as touching things offered unto idols, we, uh, we know that we all have knowledge so what is his answer to their question about idols and eating that meat? Can they do it? Yes. He says, yes, you can. But that doesn't mean you should. Love brings more people to Christ than knowledge. 